Maybe the term cultural humility, that yeah. like going in with an awareness that there's a lot that you don't know. Yeah. And a lot of the things in business, <clears throat> they're, they're systems and language and processes, but they're very culturally wrapped. And so trying to take that to another culture, to another nation, to another place is going to have a lot of different things in the movement. And so I think there's going to be, I mean, for me, tons of learning. I, I haven't had a lot of experience in other cultures. I've met a lot of people from other cultures, but to be within and, and to think systems and processes is going to be really unique. Sorry, I'm trying to double. I'm listening. I'm listening. I hear you. Um, and then the other class, effective teaching in higher education, I think that's going to be an instant from classroom to practice. Um, because there are, it's, it was interesting in this last class that I just taught, I'd start telling a story or doing something unique. <laughs> and my older students, my seniors would kind of lean in and my younger students would hide their phone and take a video in between the seats. And it's very different, like, dynamics. And I think that there is a shift in how to, how to stir curiosity, how to keep attention, how to foster learning or building blocks of learning. And um, so I'm, I'm excited for that one, mainly because it's so practical to what I'm doing right now. Hello, everybody. You are listening to an Educated Life podcast. This is a Christian higher education podcast where we talk about life outside the classroom. I am Minsu Choi. I am your host today. And joining me is my great friend and colleague, Matt Diamond. How are you, Matt? I'm doing well. Doing real well. Matt Diamond is an area coordinator here at George Fox University, and he has been at Fox for a decade Almost. Almost a decade. Eight, eight years. years. Eight years. And, man, I can't wait to dive into your life. I, I feel like you've had, you've been in higher ed for a very long time, more than eight years. Uh, yeah, this would be my 13th. Yeah. There's a lot of wisdom there. Because of a lot of mistakes, for sure. Okay, we'll dive into those <laughs> if you want to go into the mistakes part of it. But, um, Matt, so glad to be here with you post-fall uh, semester. <sighs> And I, I just love the fact that we get to uh, connect and create something together and, you know, kind of dive into your life. I think that's the focus of today. And mm -hmm. I think 13 years in higher ed, you have, you have to have something to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, mean I, I'm certain of that. I mean, which, which venue do you want to go? Like, we'll go into a lot of different venues, actually. But you know, I, I, let's start off with this. Just a little bit of your your life story mm -hmm. going into higher ed. What was that like? What was that year like right before you entered into higher education? Like, how did you know that that was going to be your path for the next thirteen years of your life? Um, well, it was it was kind of a backdoor entry, actually. Mm -hmm. I went to seminary out in Chicago, and was uh, I'd completed one year of the MDiv, and then. There was a group of guys that I played basketball with in the mornings, and this one guy said, "Hey, I just got a, I just got a job. I got to leave, and it's late August." And he said, "My my boss said I have to find somebody to fill my role because uh, she does. There's no time to do a search. So would you like to do what I do? And like, what what do you do? Because well, I, I lived in I live in Solberg, this dorm right here, with 150 guys, mm -hmm. and I was like, oh, I've I've never done res life. It's Wait, in seminary, you were in the dorms. So in seminary, that's when it started. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was this, this guy was like, you should do this. And, yeah. and I, I met with the, the supervisor and talked about it. And she uh, was fascinating. It struck me as a really solid uh, leader right off the bat. Yeah. So I, the thing that, that caught me actually was um, he said, you know, you, you've kind of always said, that you want to put your whatever you're learning right into practice, and this will give you that opportunity. Yeah. And so, so we did it. It was, although uh, I think Carla cried maybe for the first two months every night. Why is that? Because we had a guy that had five foot speakers right above us, 
in a uh, in a concrete res hall. <laughs> so like we just felt we we were we were bumping most of the time. So you were just living with a subwoofer. Yeah, it was it was. A Why huge, did you say something? I I did every night, and sadly the thing was, if he had it on at all, even just on standby, it created a buzz that kind of shook our place. So we we talked to him every night, and and he knew, mm-hmm. and he was cool about it. But he would just be like, Matt, seriously, come up to my room. Mm-hmm. It's not me. And I come up, I'm like, bro, your 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 bass could rattle the building next to us. Yeah. So what seminary was this? Uh, North Park. So this was in North Park. Yep. Yeah. And just for the audience's sake, um, what was your undergrad in? My undergrad really was just in basketball, but I majored in business. <laughs> <laughs> you were majored a, in business. You were a student athlete. I was a student athlete. Mm-hmm. I was one class away from a religious studies major mm-hmm. at Linfield, but Greek was during basketball practice. Yeah. How convenient. Right. And then you went to North Park for your Master of Divinity. Mm-hmm. And then you also have another degree, maybe two. No, no. Is it two? You have two doctorates now? No. <laughs> I, I'm starting my second doctorate. That's right. That's right. You uh, have a doctorate. Yes. You have a D-min. Yes. Doctor of Ministry. Yes. In semiotics. Yeah. With Len Sweet. Len Sweet. Which is a program that I'm also interested in. Yeah, it was fascinating. He's a he's an incredible guy. And mm-hmm. then I have four master's degrees. I think that's what you're alluding that's, to. That's yes. Can you rattle them off really quick? Uh the Masters of Divinity. Yeah. And then we finished that school, uh, schooling, learning, and went to do youth pastor. And most of our challenges in the church were conflict and mm-hmm. simple management. So when my wife Carla went back to s- seminary. I got res. I got a res life gig again, mm-hmm. and I did an MBA and a master's in management. And we came out. We're in uh, McMinnville, and we were doing youth ministry there. And uh, the 2008 crash hit. Yeah. And so I blitzed a master's in higher education administration. At where? Through North Park. Online. Through North Park. Oh, yeah. online. Yeah. While you were here in Oregon. Yeah. Wow. And this was this was after you had left North Park, right? Right. Okay. Four masters. Four masters. One doctorate, working on a second one. Yes. What are you compensating for? <laughs> we don't have enough time, bro. Uh, you know, I honestly, I, um, I went through my undergrad and I said, I'm done with school. <laughs> I'm done with school. I had never read a book for. And a while. then the Lord. Well, no, well, <laughs> then Carla. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'd never read a book for fun, and my wife is a big reader, so when we got married, we would read out loud together. Yeah. And then I learned to love at reading. And then I think my first degree that I did because I had questions, which was the Master's of Management, I was like, I, I'm not doing this well. I need to learn from people who had it. Then something clicked. Mm-hmm. Then I really loved to learn. Mm-hmm. And if you're in higher education, they pay for all of it or most of it, so... I I have found that my learning just drive is on. It's yeah. just it's on right now. Yeah. I feel like you have like $150,000 worth of education, but you probably paid only a fraction of it. Yeah. That's so sweet. Yeah. That seems one of the most beautiful things about working in higher ed. Mm-hmm. But okay, so you kind of fell into higher ed. Yeah. They needed a replacement in August. I got tricked actually. What do you mean you got tricked? He said it was like running a small group. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My, my first year, we had, a, we had a fight club in the basement. You had a fight club at North Park? Yep. What does that say about North Park? We had a drive-by on our lobby. Yeah. We had, uh, it, like, I had no idea what residence life meant. I knew that there was a developmental side of it. Mm-hmm. I had no idea that we were the front lines for crisis. Yeah. By the way, North Park University is in the northern part of... Chicago. Yeah. And so you're, but you were originally from here, Vancouver, in the Pacific Northwest. So yep. did you specifically go to the Midwest for seminary? Is that the first reason? Yeah. We were um, at Linfield. I graduated and Carla still had a semester left. Mm-hmm. And so the church that we've been going to brought me on full time as kind of a college pastor yeah. intern. And then I got the, 
I got a scholarship to go. That's so cool. Yeah. That's so good. So you were a very smart person. No. <laughs> and maybe, you know, you talk about, you, you feel like uh, you need to learn more. I, um, I work hard. Like that was kind of one of, yeah. I think, the gifts my family gave me. And maybe some of my athletic background, but um, I don't necessarily, I definitely don't write very well, but I, and my critical thinking is still, I think, on the cusp of some really good development. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's not necessarily why, like, what I'm interested in. I just, I love the journey of learning, mm-hmm. and specifically with people. Mm-hmm. I've done some learning outside of the classroom, but I really enjoy engaging five to 15 other people who are around the same topic mm-hmm. with their filters and experiences. Mm-hmm. So You already mentioned like a couple challenges as you stepped into your higher ed role as a student development professional. Mm-hmm. Um, noise coming from the ceiling, <laughs> wife not feeling like this is yeah. the best place to live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How was the, I, I think you remember, I remember you telling me a little bit about the arrangement, but they, it wasn't a really great place to live in general, right? I mean, it was... It, I'm sure you were thankful. Yeah, I, I think it's pretty standard for sure. RDs mm-hmm. um, living in. Yeah. Uh, we certainly are, I think, spoiled here at George Fox, yeah. area coordinators. But honestly, I, I think what I didn't know, and it, you know, because I went res life youth pastor, back to res life to youth pastor, and now back into res life. Mm-hmm. And the things that, I, when I look back, I'm like, that shouldn't have bothered me that much. It was because I was terrible at boundaries. Yeah, like I carried, I carried other people's burdens and trauma uh, without letting go for for long periods of time. Yeah. I didn't know how to slow down without crashing. I didn't. Um, are you are you describing your first year or like the first how many years? <laughs> I would say the first thirteen years. Yeah, so I would say uh, definitely the first two. I think the second time that we were in it. Um, as a married couple, we were we were talking about things in a deeper way, mm-hmm. and um, and being able to articulate our needs, and so we came up with the, what we call the one four one one rhythm of thriving. We moved from like how do we survive to what is the space and rhythm that we need to really thrive. And Carl and I are, are pretty different, mm-hmm. and so some of these reflect different things. So like the first one is we want to create an hour every day for the other person to experience renewal play whatever that re- that will be like restoration mm-hmm. and then we, um a four-hour block which fits because that's what kind of what dave encourages here of the same kind of thing but sometimes we, when you get that one hour it's it's not really enough to let the dust settle and so a four-hour block once a week the dust settles you can kind of let things go or come face to face with some things mm-hmm. And then the, the next two are more like long-term sustainability. So we do a solo day once a month, um, a day where you get off campus and um, engage honestly in whatever you want to do. And sometimes it's not a by-yourself day. It always is for Carla. But sometimes on my solo day, I just want to go with a couple people to someplace beautiful, cool, whatever, yeah. get an experience. And then uh, because we are a live-in job, we do a weekend away as a family every month, one weekend. Yeah, that's so good. So that's brought about, brought about a lot more wholeness. I think the other way that we were doing it, uh, all my insecurities, all my where I'd experienced pain, they were just raw all the time. Mm-hmm. And so I got better at healing. I got better at boundaries. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got better at limits, I think. When you were a youth pastor, were you also serving college students or younger? Uh, yes, kind of. Um, my first year of ministry, we was only college students, mm-hmm. and then when we moved up, when we got the job in Sherwood, uh, it was middle school and high school. But I had uh, fifteen George Fox student leaders interns, mm-hmm. and then when we did it the next time it was just high school yeah. so yeah I figured someone who who's been in higher ed or around higher ed for 13 years deeply loves students and deeply loves the work that you do yeah and I don't think it's been stale for you um, can you articulate 
what gets you up every morning to do sure. the job that you do. Sure. Uh, I there's actually I was just thinking about being reminded of this yesterday on the on the mountain is I always like to revisit my why. Yeah. Like what is it? And the urgent times. Why the, is that, by the way? Why? Why do you want to revisit your why? That's oh, a weird question. I find that I when when the why is clear, yeah, and it's and then my life reflects that why. Yeah. Man, there's the energy just is natural. The the priority priorities are easier. It's saying yes and no are easier. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, there just seems to be a like easy it like you're experiencing flow. I think I think so. Yeah. You you're you're breathing. Yes, it's normal, right. natural. Yeah, it's yeah. Natural. And that's when you know my it might be time to change when you when your why starts to get fuzzy mm-hmm. and yet you're still doing the same thing mm-hmm. and then it starts to get clarity somewhere else. That's probably the time to yeah. to explore that. Yeah. But yeah, for mine, I love um the journey of students both growing and understanding who they are mm-hmm. and their stories. And then I love the journey of faith of exploring who God is, asking the deep questions. Yeah. And then where those interconnect between uh, community and vocation. And so I've, I haven't found a better place than higher education to uh, give attention to and make space for those things. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I absolutely love that. Yeah. And what do you love about the higher ed environment? Yeah. Like, like you epitomize the, the professional learner. Mm-hmm. You have a lot of degrees. Um, you've constantly sought um, to improve, to grow as a person, as a professional. Um, but you've stuck around, and with you know, with how many degrees you have, I'm always like wondering, like, why? Why has this been a sweet spot for you? I'm assuming it's been a sweet spot. Yeah. And yeah. why haven't you moved to like a director or dean level? Or you've moved on to bigger things, sure, quote unquote. Yeah, I, th- um, I think there's there's a couple avenues with that. I I love to be in a community where people are learning because it I think it it enhances my desire and and curiosity in a variety of different realms. Yeah, and I like higher education because there's like there's so many different avenues I get to explore at once. So I have my DBA program. But I joined students in the ceramics lab. We have people over at the house learning jujitsu together. Yeah. Um, you know, the, some of the things that I really thrived in with basketball, with the intramurals. Um, we have discipleship groups at home for journeys of faith. Uh, and honestly, I, I kind of want to start geeking out about some computer science stuff. I think that there's a lot there that I've never tapped that... that uh, I'd like to get more proficient at and see what see what holds. Now, in terms of why why not bigger and better, um, that I think is uh, my natural path is um, or it used to be go bigger and go better and take the next best opportunity. Yeah. But as I watched my friends do the same thing, whether it be mortgage job. Um, whatever venue it looked like, uh, higher responsibility or anything, you move away from the people. Like it, beca- What I've seen is that as you gain responsibility and you gain the bigger, better roles, um, there's just so much more to, to maintain administratively. And that's probably the, the, the thing that I enjoy the least. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to get good at administration so that it's efficient and quickly and causes the fewest problems. But uh, what I really just want to do is be in the midst of uh, that new that new neurological synapse that's about to explode of learning and uh, integrating something that really helps somebody move forward. I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had to do, I did like a, an interim director in Chicago because there was a, um, bosses transitioned and uh it was just mainly office yeah and i did a i did a job at oregon steel for a year and it was the same thing mainly office 
Um, and I worked actually in the registrar's office for a year as kind of an enrollment counselor before getting this job here at Fox. Mm-hmm. And I, I just love to move so much and engage and have variability during the day that um, I enjoy those bigger strategic conversations, but it's not where I want to live. Yeah, that's not your place of thriving. Not right now. Yeah. Yeah, not right now. And I think that's that's good to like just acknowledge, I think, you know, what's better and what's success is all relative. It's True. It has to be... I mean, the 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 big measurement is really your DNA and like mm-hmm. what you want and like what your desires are and what your passion is and how you want to express the work that you do. And so I, I think, yeah, I just want to point that out. Like, yeah, thank you. It's not, it's not that you haven't been successful or, or whatever. I think you've been very successful and I, I see, I respect how, like I, I respect your, your career in a lot of ways. And it's so fascinating to me because you don't fit the mold. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah, there's not too many doctorates who've been in this role for a long time. No, and I mean, it might you know every year, every year I at in the summertime go, okay, let's look in the mirror. There's nobody else, kind of in the similar state. Yeah, um, why is that? Did I miss the memo somewhere? And honestly, you know, when when some of those whys for me. If if money wasn't a challenge, or if I if I was to raise money for some sort of role, what would I do? And I'll say, I can't come up with a better design of I'm going to work my tail off for three months mm-hmm. with people who want to grow and learn. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take a big three week to a month off chunk, and I'm going to do it again. Mm-hmm. And then you get to take a summer, take two months, let all the dust settle, dream, integrate, ramp up again. Uh, for this time in my family, you know, I, I have one child, Ava, Avienda. She's eleven, and she's in a place right now where she gets to kind of share in a lot of what we do, mm-hmm. and a lot of what I do. And the students love her, and she loves the students. And so, it's not only I think a personal thing right now, um, but that it's, it's it's familial. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, you mentioned your, your daughter. I love asking this question because I think I learn a lot from it. And I get a lot of insight from it. But like, as you think about Ava going into her mid to late teen years and all your experience in higher ed and working with college students, like, what are those things that you're like, yeah, I want to talk about this. I want to, I want to make sure that Ava's ready for this. Like, what are, mm-hmm. what are some of those student needs or student behaviors or decisions or like where they are? Mm-hmm helping you be a very intentional parent mm. and what are those talks like what do you what do you talk with Ava even sure. at 11 um i i mean i think we kind of have zeroed down on heart soul mind and strength mm-hmm. as kind of where we want her to um at least where we want to engage some of that growth mm. and so we we want her to be kind and loving and gracious both to herself and others we mm-hmm. want her to be able to think critically and ask hard questions and um we also want her to know how to use her body well and how to be sustainable and play and and then um we want her to be a person of depth do, that she understands spiritual things and um understands truth as much as we can so like right now there has been a shift um there are four things I think those are that's like the big umbrella, mm-hmm. and then there's contextually where she's at in life, because um, I think this is a transition year too, because she's in fifth grade, middle school's next, biological change next. Um, Carla's probably going to be working next year. That's that'll be another big change. So uh, the big four right now are um, you're not a waste of space. So she is a huge fan of Harry Potter, mm-hmm. and. She has kind of a sassy humor, and uh, I don't really know wh- how or why, but she's not a big fan of me saying "I love you." She, there's, she's like, "Daddy, I know." I'm like, okay, cool, I know you know, but I'm, I want to say it, and she's like, "I know, but you say it all the time." And so, mm-hmm. there's a moment in I'm not sure what book it is, um, where Harry's leaving the house, and Dudley says something 
um, uh, he says something kind to Harry. Oh, he says, I don't think you're a waste of space. Mm-hmm. And there's kind of this conversation back and forth. And Harry goes, well, actually, that's Dudley saying I love you. Mm-hmm. So so I had to, we've turned it into a playful thing. Now she loves it when I say, hey, Ava, I don't think you're a waste of space. Mm-hmm. Like she brightens up. And, and it's the same meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, the other piece, like the next thing that we're working on right now is um, she's really hard on herself when she makes mistakes, mm-hmm. which is fascinating because we don't have a lot of rules. Mm-hmm. We're more of a guideline kind of family. But um, she, yeah, just like she's really hard on herself. And so I'm trying to free her from that. Like it's okay to make mistakes. It's actually it's probably a good sign that you're going, you're engaging enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you use your voice and when you do that kind of stuff? She actually just got written up for the first time mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago <laughs> at school. And we celebrated and and then Today, her, her her teacher just said, hey, uh, Ava's getting the citizenship award on Thursday. We'd love to have you come to the thing. So she is, you know, very different from, I was always pushing boundaries. Right. And I know how to work with those kids, students really well. Mm-hmm. But to have a child that, um, like, grace almost every day uh, is, is a big thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we call it bounce back. So... Yeah, we're going to make mistakes and they're going to hurt and they hurt other people, but a lot of it depends on how well we can bounce back and not let all that energy or or, or to keep you out from the good that's that's coming. Yeah, I remember you telling me like kind of the the end of that story where she got written up where she had a lot of trust in you knowing how you would respond to that. Yes. That that's actually made me think it's working. Well, how do you how did how did you begin that process of like her being able to trust, like not just knowing you, but sure. knowing how you would respond to a situation like that? Man, I, you know, I think I probably have hunches, but I'd really like to know how it got for real for her. I I think it's more of re- she sees me responding to mistakes that I make, or that she does. We we play ball tag in the house. We break things all the time. Mm-hmm. That's why we can't have nice things. Mm-hmm. Um but seeing how I react when something happens or um, how I treat somebody that wrongs me, I think has been a huge thing. Uh, All of her friends, there was like five people that got written up and they were really scared because they knew they were going to get grounded or spanked or whatever. Um, Punishment was coming. And when she told me, when I asked her, I said, so what were you chewing on all day long? She goes, daddy, I knew you'd be happy because I didn't really do anything wrong. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yes. Like when when you have your child, just like any student, you're working with them on something, and all of a sudden, you realize that it's actually been growing, mm-hmm. and it had a foundation for it to for the kind of response that you're hoping for. Mm-hmm. That was that was pretty special. I mean, that is very special. Like to me, you know, I'm, I'm a couple of years behind you in terms of yeah. parenting. Yeah. Um, and now I'm gonna have a daughter real soon Mm -hmm. how much how much do you think about like how sensitive are you to like like the cultural narrative for women oh you know what i mean like as as you're thinking about like what is ava going to be hearing or experiencing just because she's a female just Mm -hmm. because she's a woman um do you do you are you intentional about that do you account for that i'm sure you and carla both talk yeah. about it all the time but. we're we're really intentional i didn't realize how early it starts yeah um some of the things that we noticed just with as she goes into she went into school i mean because before school she's outside with us all the time her favorite thing to do is to wrestle um she's surrounded by college students so she's being engaged by men and women quite mm-hmm. a bit and some of the greatest college students that you can find and then when she got to school uh, th- there's almost there is more permission for boys to make bonehead moves, and I think this this is some of the mistake things. She saw that, and the majority of the teachers at the elementary school that she's at are the more majority of the adults are women. There might be four or five men in the sixty or seventy that are there, mm-hmm. 
and they're older women mostly and they, there there is this cultural expectation of be more careful with your voice be more careful with your choices be more um there's w- way more talk about their dress than the guy's dress you know i i grew up oblivious to these things i had three boys and um three boys in my family and uh in a very sports dominated world and so um and then marrying Carla, starting to see some of the ceilings that she would hit or the challenges that she would have or how people would speak differently to her than to me. So uh, I, I know that I can't change the water that she's growing in, but I know that I can be somebody that fans the flame of know your voice really matters. Mm-hmm. Uh, know you can be strong. Mm-hmm. Um, not to the sense of, I need you to be strong without being gracious. Like mm-hmm. I don't want you to lose um, some of the wisdom and truth that's that uh, we want for want from our young girls that we should also want for our young boys. Um, and so, yeah, we're very aware. I I think I'm not as concerned long term because she is surrounded by such great examples every year of women that are good leaders and. Um, kind and strong and have dreams and have opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, and then her mother is a bad apple. So mm-hmm. so I think, you know, Ava, Ava's, she's just going to have a unique opportunity growing up on a college campus. But certainly the, there is, just as there is on men, there are cultural overtones that are in everything, in all the systems and... Um, communicate one thing or another mm-hmm. um, which is why when she got that service award a couple years ago and she said it's because I don't use my voice and I don't make mistakes I was like no okay yeah we we need to reframe that w- award and then we also need to work on no you have to give space to those things yeah absolutely yeah yeah that's really good insight I mean I think as you think about college students nowadays like men and women they i think they struggle with different things they mm-hmm. they might be similar on the surface uh, because they're all struggling with identity a voice right um discovering their passions things like that but i think um it's ordered differently yeah right yeah it's it's it, yeah um and i feel like higher ed has been a, a, a great place to experience a lot of that yeah even more so than like maybe like a local church would experience as a pastor. It, I, was, I was meaning to ask you this earlier, but like you switch back and forth from like local church ministry to higher ed, like, and I feel like the majority of the time you spend in higher ed and like, mm-hmm. I would even assume that that's your preference because it's a place of learning and it's, you know, it's academia, it's culture, it's faith com- coming together. Um, what, what is, what, what is in your mind, like the biggest difference between someone who, really thrives in a higher ed environment and it's still like almost like a church community yeah versus an actual local church yeah i think one of the things that i why well, I, f- I feel i feel at home more um, i'm sure there's local churches that i would feel at home more in but uh carl and i have, we really engage this one poem that um i'm going to struggle figuring out the author, but uh, it says, uh, stillness is what creates love. Movement is what creates life. And to be still yet still moving, that's everything. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm definitely more on the movement side. I love uh, a lot of life. And my challenges within the church were more tied to people who wanted to stay in the same place, have the same challenges, not work through their questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, they wanted to come, sit in their seat, sing the same songs, and just stay in that spot. Mm-hmm. And and for me, the journey of faith has always been a journey. It's always on, you're on the way to something, whether that's greater depth or further heights or new frontiers or or um, or new invites by God into your story. Mm-hmm. And um, and uh, there's way more people in the collegiate environment, that that's their ethos. Or at least they want to be a part of that, so they come to this community. Right. 
um, I I felt a, I felt more of uh, in the local churches that I've been a part of beautiful wonderful communities but there's more of a sense let's just reinforce what we already know yeah and um, I want to learn the things I don't know and also because I've there have been multiple things in my own story where I've changed my mind on and some some things I've gone back in my mind that this static lifestyle is uh, it, it feels more like a cage sometimes to me yeah, I mean that's the great criticism for me. Yeah, I think well, you just hit the you, you hit the nail right on the head. Like for me, uh, of where I see a stark difference, it 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 feels more natural in an in a college environment that people have to move, they have to journey, mm-hmm. or they just fail. Or you know, if you don't want to learn, if you don't want to pull ahead, you're you're going to drop out, mm-hmm. and it's it just naturally caters to people who want to move, right? But in a local church, it's the opposite, right? It's, um, I think it, you know, maybe 50, 60 years back, it was the great place of community. And that's, that's where you found a lot of identity and a lot of, um, you know, how you associated with your environment and your world. But like, I think, I, I, I say it this way, like, I think, especially people in their 30s yeah. when they're like a, f- a few years removed from college they should have that same mentality of like okay well so what's what's the college of life you know what i mean like how do you right. continue to move towards being you know adding value to those around you um accomplishing goals and things like that mm-hmm. and i'm not even saying like in an achiever oriented sort of way like how do you just continue to like grow as a person Mm -hmm. you know being very intentional in that way yeah and i feel like naturally like biologically culturally we do that well in our early 20s yeah uh but when we get to our 30s we just kind of we've hit all our goals we hit we've hit all of our goals that we've set at 20 and now what you know what i mean i do i i think there's i think well at least in my own experience there's 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 other cultural um pressures to do that 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 slow that and i think it's um uh to play the game of get a get a job and keep it steady and you get a mortgage right and you have a couple kids you don't really have time for anything else i mean i i mean that's not true it no but it feels that way right, right? you know right. You, um i remember after ava was born probably up until year three, I didn't even have enough sleep in my life to think creatively uh, because I was doing, I was trying to do all these other things as well. Mm-hmm. And so I think learning and growing, setting new goals and these kind of things require some uh, downtime for the mind, like spaces in between, uh, or you're among a community that's like, no, this is who we are. It's part of that DNA. Mm-hmm. But if you're not surrounded by people who are in that same space, um, and it's more of like, no, let's just settle, make wise investments, make a st- as stable, steady community for our kids as we can. There's a lot of good in that, a lot of good. Um, so much good that I got a little nervous at first choosing a different path for Ava because I was like, am I going to mess her up? I mean, we all pass on baggage to our kids, right? Uh, so far it's been a good gamble, but I, I know that there, I've talked to a lot of my friends that are like, I'd love to be in a similar place as you, but I can't cause I, I'm only equipped to do this job or I've, I got into this house and I have to keep it moving or I have more than one child and I just don't have space. If I want to be a good parent, I don't have space to do what you're doing. And like you said, there's choices, right? Yeah. See, and that's like my big movement right now like you know my intention the way that i want to live out my life i don't want that to be my excuse like so first of all that's so fascinating that you say it like that because like i have definitely wrestled with that yeah because i work in a place like you where learning and growth and journeying comes naturally it's just part of the culture right but i am also seeking that second wind every single day to do something creative, create 
something that might add value mm-hmm. when the kid goes to bed, when... Right. Like, I, I'm continually working. And it's because of that reason. Because I don't want to ever make that excuse. Like, if I were in another different context, I would still try to me- try to figure out a place where I could do some of this stuff, like even this podcast, because I think that's so important because I want to model this idea of like, I, I just don't believe that even with a job with multiple kids, you can, I don't believe that you don't have enough time because right. I just look at everything that I'm doing. And even though I'm pretty much creating a lot of the time, I look at my screen time. Mm-hmm. I look at what I do when I'm just sitting on the couch. I'm wasting a lot of time. Mm-hmm. And it it boggles my mind like how much I get it. I'm blind to it sometimes. I don't realize that like I'm on YouTube maybe like 5 hours a week. Mm-hmm. That's 5 hours mm-hmm. of me con- consuming something. And I mean I, I think that's good. We all need intake, right? Sure, yeah. But like I mean it's kind of research for you too. Yeah, yeah. I've been like actually trying to figure out like what, how am I spending to the minute? Like, yeah. what am I doing? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Screen time has been very helpful. I'm glad that they added that to yeah, was, the yeah. new operating system. But like, it's ama- amazes me how much time I still waste, even though I'm so wanting to be intentional about how mm-hmm. much time I spend. Mm-hmm. And it's it's the same thing with the book thing. Yeah. Like, I'm not. I don't. I, I have the exact same amount of time as everyone else, but I choose to reorient my time so yeah. that I'm reading 50 books a year. That's a book a week. And so that averages out to be about 45 minutes to an hour every single day. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, like that's, that's what it is. Doable. That's it's doable. doable. And I think that's I think that's where the great struggle is for me. I think this is the other thing. C.S. Lewis in Four, Four Loves in the section of friendship he talks about how the the way that friendship flourishes is through common purpose. Mm. And the way that friendship sours is through blind loyalty Hmm. and i think churches my great critique of healthy good churches is that they're too bent on community Hmm. what are your thoughts on that like i i really i i hear a lot of churches they're like we are a community first sure and i i just think that's a mistake especially in 2018 now 2019 i think churches need to be more missional Mm mm-hmm and I think those are those are the two poles that are often in contention, yeah. right? Because in one yeah. in one aspect, if you're not all about community, when are you actually going to care and serve and cultivate some sort of bond and connection? I think a lot of churches fear that. But on the other side, I think we slowly drift if we continually focus on community first into country club status where we just drift and drift and drift and we actually never add value. And I think this is a great problem as a culture. Churches are not adding enough value. Cities and places are saying it doesn't matter whether that church is there or not. You know, whether it's a Y, whether it's a church, whether it's a country club or a golf club, it doesn't matter. I I just don't, I I think we're slowly drifting. We're, We're doubling down on community too much. I think. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot there. I've only been in, I'd say, three different churches for me to be able to see deeply and accurately. And and I think community is a is a challenge our culture has because of the mobility of it and um, time and 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 those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. I. Yeah, I think, because I think community means a lot of different things, right? Absolutely. Hospitality, um, being present, uh, being involved in one another's stories. I think there's a variety of variables. But you're, I mean, you're speaking to the choir. I think movement for me is what brings that life. Right. And so, but my critique has always been, I need to slow down, though, to let that love really settle. So I think there's kind of this this push and pull that, that both are important and and I've often tried to figure out is my role in that community to to give attention and bring voice to mission. Mm-hmm. Um but but un- unless the two are kind of equal in strength, one of them to, is just v- very strongly a majority. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I just I just haven't really heard or seen the latter. I guess so. I'm not so sure. I'm not sure the mission side. Well, I mean, I guess ideally in a vacuum, it seems like yeah, they should be coexisting in in right. equilibrium. Right. I'm just thinking. What also dictates that, though, of how what the portions should be, is the greater culture in the time that we're in. Like in Christendom, I would say, yeah, it seems like community would be the proper thing to, um, you know, error yeah. on the side of that. Sure. But now, as we continue to leave places of influence, mm-hmm. I think it's a revitalization and almost like a revival of the missional aspect of the church that needs to be emphasized. And I say that because I think the, the connection of local min- ministries and local churches is I, I think they should model kind of like a higher ed, higher ed environment more. I mean, I, I would feel much more at home with those. I think we need a variety of ways to gather. Carl and I have been exploring an idea of of creating a community like a house church, but also a um, a way of being in community that you don't even have to be in the same town, mm-hmm. but not an online consuming. But here's a journey that we're going to take together and we're going to continue to meet over the course of the year and spans and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, because we want both. We want both. I think that if you go mission without community, at some point you're you're going to be doing the mission alone. No, I agree, and I, I, I and that's not what I'm saying. I'm just no, saying we yeah. need to double down. Yeah, yeah. So I I don't have a lot of answers there. Mm-hmm. Um, no, and it's just a discussion. I think more than anything. Well, I, for me, it's 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 hard for me to critique right now the church mm-hmm. because I'm not. Uh, this year, we're not engaging a local church on a consistent basis. Yeah, so it's. Um, it's difficult for me to, I think, speak into the challenges without having some skin in the game. Totally. We've had skin in the game, and it's been rich, but I think we're... There's both a, a season of healing, dreaming, and prepping for the fall to see if, if, if the idea that we have might take some root. We'll see. Totally. Yeah. I think another area that you're very passionate about, and so am I, is technology. And, you know, the intersection between culture, faith, and technology and what we're supposed to do with that. I had an interesting interaction on on social media with um, a Christian writer out of basically the Wheaton area. Oh, wow. Um, And he was just very much, I think he was interacting with people who really believe in exclusive online churches and people who really, really buy into that. Sure. And he made an interesting statement, which is like he he was responding. I don't know the context of the quote, but he was responding to it. And the quote was, technology is neutral, Mm. which I believe in Mm. um, the way that I think about it. I'm not sure if it it was meant the same way, but he made the the interesting point of. No, you. You can use social media, you can use digital tools to find a wife and marry someone, but if you exclusively live out your marriage online, it's going to fail. Hmm. And then you use that as an example of saying, well, technology is not neutral. It's actually negative. It's detrimental. Or in the sense, like, technology doesn't bring the same level of good as it does bad. Therefore, it's not neutral. And... I found that an interesting statement, and I, I, I'm trying to characterize him accurately. Sure, sure, sure. But I found it interesting in general. Like, I wanted to ask you, like, what is, what are your thoughts on like how technology is being like related to, especially by like people of faith, organizations of faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wanted to know your thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I have a hard time saying that technology or our thrust towards technology is neutral, mm-hmm. but I don't, but I don't give it a, a, a good or bad or evil or, um, right. connotation because I think 
And I think the people that do are typically the ones that are saying, we need to go back. Right. We need to go back to the way that we did this and technology is actually inhibiting us from being able to do that. And there's a lot of truth there. Um, but l- the life that is coming, it, tech is just part of it. Right. And so it, it's not... Uh, the, the, there will be expressions of essing like folks that pull away and and we're going to live like this simp- simple without tech and then there's going to be um, the rest of the world that we need to figure out how to wisely use tech and have it to be an extension of the things that are good. Um, I know certainly uh, tech has a very highly transformative power and I think it, it, it stunts some areas that used to be more easily developed, but it expands and explodes other areas oh. that we're having a hard time finding places. And a couple examples there. I think the ability to focus and stay focused on a topic is, uh, you, you know, our, our young people have never known that. Right. Um, whereas folks who have PhDs and are in their 50s or 60s could stay on a topic uninterrupted for quite some time because they had exercised that um, neurological pathway so much that it was so treaded without interruption. Which is beautiful and amazing and a wonderful gift. And yes, those that's not going to happen as much. Um, but the explosion of creativity, of access, like if you're not just watching YouTube videos of kittens, but you're actually learning and exploring, seeing what's out there and seeing how things are doing, we have some huge problems to solve um, across the globe, whether it be economically or environmentally or mm-hmm. um, or just <laughs> civil conversation um, we need to we need to learn some new ways and and I think technology is really going to actually help with a lot of that mm-hmm. and so whenever I, I try to listen to s- when somebody's in a tech conversation they're like either really positive or really negative I try to figure out okay what are they, what are they really reacting to and what's what's the gain um, I don't think there is, uh, I think there's way more potential and opportunity to to lean in t- and maximize the tech that we have. And then we need to be intentional about what it means to be human. What does that look like? What does that require and what's needed? Because right. right. um, I'm, I'm not into tech replacing um, depth or strength of who we are as humans. You know, but this isn't a new conversation. Every explosion of uh, technological advance, any kind of communication at least, all these things happen. And uh, was it Aristotle? I think it might have been Aristotle that was bemoaning the fact that with writing that we were going to lose our memories because Mm -hmm. all of that stuff was going to be in places where we could access it. Right. And it wouldn't be a part of what made us. And there's some truth there, certainly some truth. I know that when I was watching my grandmother die of dementia um, and she lost access to her memories, she lost access to who she was and the gifts and strength and grace and all those sorts of things, connections. Yeah. Um, but writing things down didn't, I think, probably brought tons of opportunity for also what it means to be human. Mm-hmm freed us up to do other things. Uh, now, thinking like 20, 21 lessons for the 21st century of the idea of superhumans compared to normal humans. Now, I don't know about that conversation. I'm, I don't know if I'm ready for that. Of the next separation won't be class or race or gender, but will be those that have uh, genetic modifications or implants that... Yeah give advantage in some way yeah Gattaca is one of my favorite movies yeah it's about yeah, that, yeah, right? yeah it's about you know Zenoism is yeah. what they called it right in that movie right right no I think that's true I mean the question for me is like it is a question of incarnation like at the end of the day yeah I think the future is we're going to be even more submerged in tech in digital avenues and an online church or an online community of church goers Right. I'm sure will exist. 
Already does, yeah. It already do- does. Yeah. And so, but the question is, it's not about trying to condemn that, but how do you go and reach them and bring it back to incarnational ministry? Yeah, I mean, and that's, that's the question, right? We're dealing with that in higher education too, right? So, yeah. our, the best professors right now, yeah, who are the masters of their content, making videos that we have access to. Why do we need professors? That's true. But it, then it becomes not about content. We used to put so much energy into prepping content. Now the opportunity is to prep facilitation and learning. Yeah, curation. Yes. Right. Yeah, so it's, it's, there is a change that's significant. But, um, but now we're going to need more artistically, science-based yeah. facilitators. I just don't buy... I, I don't think it's, the, it's a pro-tech versus... like negative tech conversation. I just think we're going there. And I think the mistake is, um, at least for, for Christian, I guess this is my position is to leave places of community and influence and kind of just become a distinct, like, yeah, we'll just go over here. Yeah. You know, I, I, that's why I don't believe asceticism or any sort of like going to the desert type of mentality is going to work. It didn't work then in some ways. I mean, you know, we still have remnants of like some great writers and thinkers that came from there. Monasteries came from there, you know, things like that have come and I think they've added value. But at the end of the day, I think it's an overcorrection of trying to be distinct and um, a lack of, of understanding like, no, we still need to go out and connect and make disciples and yeah. and share about Christ. Yeah. You know, and I think there's ways to do it without saying it's uh, throwing it all out. Like yesterday, my right. solo day up on Mount Hood. Right. Tech doesn't work. It's beautiful. I'm alone. Uh, and some people will be like, that is fantastic. That's the life of faith. And I'm like, well, I was able to let go of a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Got to pray uninterrupted. Mm-hmm. Um surrounded by beauty and it made me want to come back to give and pour out i think so right right i don't want to stay up there no and neither do i want to be like scuba diving on (laughs) the digital frontier i think it's really right right right. it's really i don't know the the mission for me whether it's tech or not tech or being distinct or diving in you know, it's the classic Petrine problem, right? Like mm-hmm. he talks about, like, how do we show the goodness of God in the way that we live? You know, in First Peter, and he talks about being a holy nation and a royal priesthood, which is such a fascinating. They're they're literally yeah. two opposite ideas. Yeah. A holy yeah. nation is distinct; it's its own people group, but a royal priesthood took everyone and offered grace and forgiveness. And that's the fascinating idea behind the gospel, I think. And I think in education, we have to be able to play that out well um, in the sense of planning for the future and Mm -hmm. really accounting for the now and how students are. It's so oscillating all the time, how well we can connect with them. And I think it's it's always about trying to figure out and being react, not even being like Nostradamus and being able to like say, this is what's going to happen. So we need to, you know, plan for five years and then do that. It's like, it's always reacting to what's, the current context. I think yeah. that's actually innovation, not yeah. not necessarily being able to predict accurately. No, the prediction the prediction time is not as it it's not as real anymore. It's gonna be more let's try this. Yeah. And it didn't work. Or let's try this. Oh, we just found this out. Yeah, I think it takes a very precise and accurate and a disciplined approach mm-hmm. to understand like, okay, what how big is the problem? And how long will this solution right. work? Right. And I think that's the game. Yep. There's no aha moment anymore. It's like we're like I forget the philosopher, but he's basically saying we're perpetual beginners now. Yeah. Every single day because of the the rapidness of everything is just changing. Which what I love about that is uh, you probably heard this possibly too when you got your black belt. Mm-hmm. I remember sitting in black belt and the kung fu instructor comes up and goes, "Hey, okay, I'm going to tell you the secret." Mm-hmm. I'm like, sweet. Mm-hmm. What is it? He goes, black, all black belts know mm-hmm. you never leave white belt. Yeah. You're always a learner. Yeah. Stay curious. 
stay humble, yeah. stay nimble, uh, and don't use your rank to prove that you're right because your rank doesn't matter. Right. So, I, I think that that's you know that that mentality of uh, we're just always going to learn. The speed is just going to continue to pick up, right? Absolutely, absolutely. I'm gonna let's end with some rapid fire questions for you. Okay, this will be fun. Yep. We'll close it up. For, by the way, thank you so much for spending this time with me. It's yeah, been really good. I'm glad we got it. Yeah. So here we go. Um, just knee jerk, knee jerk reactions to these questions. Okay. Cat or dog? I know the answer. Dog, this. dog. No. Yeah. <laughs> summer or winter? Summer. You like the summer, huh? Breakfast or dinner? Breakfast. Yeah, breakfast guy. Dancing or singing? Dancing. Really? Movement. Yeah. Are you a good singer? Uh, no. <laughs> I'm not a good dancer either, but... But you're, I don't think you're tone deaf. Uh, no, but... I, never, I don't think I've ever heard you sing. That's. <laughs> we'll have to change that. We'll do that. Books or movies? Oof. Movies. Tea or coffee? Tea. Football or basketball, I know the answer. Yeah, basketball. Board game or card game? Board game. Yeah. Hug or handshake? Oh, hug. Yeah. Text or phone call? Polo. <laughs> yeah, polo's good. I like Marco Polo. Fancy dinner or picnic? Uh, picnic. Yeah. 100 days alone or one day with 100 people? Uh, <laughs> um, you know what? I'm kind of I've never done the hundred days alone, so that that'd be one that I want to explore. Sunrise or sunset? Set. Mm-hmm. Twenty dollars. What do you buy? Twenty dollars. What do I buy? Um, gas. Going somewhere. Favorite meal to cook. Uh, really simple homemade elk stew. Yeah. Uh, karaoke, what song do you sing? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I would, like, right now I'd probably sing, uh, Rich Kids, Judy and the Lion. Okay. What's your most favorite word? Peace, probably. Peace as P E A C E. Yeah, yeah. That's probably race what I, and peace. That's probably what I say the most. Least favorite word. Oh. <laughs> um. Can't. Mm-hmm. Favorite sound. Uh. The satisfied kind of like um, hum. When I hug Carla or Ava. <laughs> Who inspires you? Ken Holding. Carla Diamond. Angie. Dewey. Mm-hmm. I, I can go on. Yeah. Inspiration is an important piece to me. I gotta I, I think we have actually a lot of responsibility to keep that um, piece of our life. Totally. Who has taught you the most about life? Probably Carla. Mm. And what's your favorite book? It can be from any genre. I know yeah. that's a hard question. Well, I think, I think because it ties with Carla. I would say I would say Severe Mercy. If we talk about impact mm-hmm. tra- of trajectory, that one. Favorite tool or object that you carry around with you frequently? My bow staff. <laughs> Favorite brand or company? Probably Patagonia. Yeah. I was just reading about them. High respect. There's a lot of innovation coming from Patagonia. Yeah. I remember them saying they're like the first ones to um I don't know, create a new way to to like wear clothing in like the, the deep, deep cold, like Antarctica. Mm-hmm. They had like a lot of innovations there. So I can't afford a lot of their stuff, but <laughs> I'm having a sale right now. <laughs> yeah, they're they're really good. I like them. 
What's your most used app? Uh, now it's Polo, Marco Polo. Really? Yeah. Do you have a favorite quote? Probably that one that I listed yeah. of uh, stillness is what creates love. Movement is what creates life. To be still yet still moving, that's everything. Yeah. Last two. When do you feel you're at your strongest and when you're at your weakest? Paradoxically, I think I'm at my strongest when I'm acknowledging my weakness but still thriving. Mm-hmm. And I'm at my weakness when I'm ignoring my vulnerabilities or insecurities and I'm driving without breaks. Mm. Yeah. And last thing is what's one life philosophy you live by? Uh, I have like five that I kind of try to work through every day and use as some sort of filter. The one that I've been using quite a bit is, um, uh, absorb chaos, give back calm, move towards hope, and rinse the sponge. Mm-hmm. So absorb chaos in our role that we're with students that quite often uh, don't have the support that they need. There's yeah. a lot of chaos. Yeah. But how do you absorb that chaos but still be calm and, and get to be one of those anchoring figures for them? But it's not just about staying. It's about, at first it was, I, I had it as point towards hope, but it needs to be more than that. Mm-hmm. It's got to be go with them on the way to hope. And then the rinse the sponge is that you, you got to let it go, though, too. Yeah. Matt, that's kind of at the end. Hey, man. Yeah, man. That was, that was really, really good. Thanks for the time. What are your th- Any last thoughts? Any last word? Uh, fun this man. He's going places. <laughs> we need to get him some monetary uh, support in this adventure journey. You know, I'm super excited about 2019, I think. Um, you know, it's been a slow grind. I like the process. And so, yeah, I really, I, I appreciate your friendship. I appreciate just the support of just being with me and talking. It's always, it's always a insightful, lovely time with you. And so, thank you. Yeah, bro. All right. Till next time. Next time.